This week, Terror of the Autons. From the BBC website, The Deadly Plastic Aliens Return, this time as daffodils. Sylvia, will you check Mr. McDermott's entitlement on termination of employment, please? Uh, it's a very clumsy operation, this. You can see now why this product's got to be changed. Oh, I don't know. Seems very effective to me. What, yards of plastic to accomplish that which can be done by just a few inches? A few inches? Yes, Farrell. The human body has a basic weakness, one which I shall exploit to assist in the destruction of humanity. You're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story, a nerdy podcast hosted by a husband and wife team who take a loving but critical look at all things in Whoville. We're sex positive, queer friendly, and not afraid to speak our minds. Warning, not in language, spoilers, a general disregard of all things Stephen Moffat and other adult content may lie within. Colonel, the autons have been sent to recover the bodies of the Doctor and the girl. Have returned without them, I know. And you're not angry? Because the Doctor's escaped again? No. He's an interesting adversary. I admire him in many ways. But you still intend to destroy him? Of course. And the more he struggles to postpone the moment, the greater the ultimate satisfaction. Did you have a little Austin Powers pinky there? I should daffodils. I am daffodil. Sorry, I was trying to go for an evil rhyme, but, you know, it never quite works. I am daffodil. Daffodil, nice. That should have been the alternate title for this episode. <laughs> Except it's daffodils and the awful poo baby demon from hell. Would you like to know the actual working title of this episode? Does it involve Poo Baby Demon? It does not. If anything, it is even worse. Um, remember, last week we did the Inferno, which right. had the, the operation... The Mole The Mole This time, the working title was The Spray of Death. So we've got semen and a Poo Baby. Well, Welcome to Oi Spaceman! <laughs> a Doctor Who Love Story. Podcast about Doctor Who and semen. We're terrible, terrible people. Such bad people. There's a reason no one listens to this podcast. Nobody. Hey, guys. Hey, this is episode 40 of our podcast. Wow, we're old enough to be considered a cougar. According to Family Feud, I think. Yeah, we were watching Family Feud this morning. I was not watching Family Okay, I was glancing at Family Feud. Yeah. Shout out to Steve Harvey, yo. Sure, who, (laughs) you know, has had some... Not nice things to say about, um... Okay, so he's, he's like, not he's the kind best of, person. He's kind of socially conservative, and, you know, we should we should mention that on our podcast about Doctor Who. Why aren't we talking about Steve Harvey again? We're not. We're talking about the terror of the Autons. You like the Autons? I, well, hmm. Are they terrifying? You know, terrifying in many a way. Um, not necessarily in the way they always intended, but, uh, terrifying indeed. Terrifying. So, directed by Barry Letts, written by the great Robert Holmes. I'm just going to call the great Robert Holmes whenever we mention his name on this podcast. Um, so, so he, we can also refer to him as TGRH? TGRH. RTD Gardner? Uh, sure, sure. TRGH? Wait, yeah. TGR Holmes? I don't T-G-R-H. know. TGRH. Yeah, anyways. Anyway. So, this is Terry of the Autons. Liz Shaw's gone. I know, and I actually have the quote open because... I think this is as much as they say about it. Yep. You've been agitating for a new assistant ever since Miss Shaw went back to Cambridge. Yeah. That's, that's about it. it. Um, I mean, it does get to say, have the nice line with uh, the Brig, who I think is a 
a little bit punchier and snarkier in this episode um, than previous, which I liked. But he said, what you need, doctor, as Miss Shaw herself so often remarked, totally fucking, is someone to pass you your test tubes and to tell you how brilliant you are. This is uh, this is a line I was actually going to talk about in this uh, episode because okay. um, you know Robert Holmes wrote both Spearhead from Space right. and Chair of the Autons. He he kind of becomes the guy that they would just like hand. Oh, we got this new concept that we need to introduce to the series, right. and here you go, make write it for us. You know, um, the list of things that like were first introduced in Robert Holmes story uh, scripts is like staggering. Um, one because day, we also get the master. Well, we also get the master, but you know the whole story here is that um, basically um, the producer, you know, Terrence Dix, um, you know, Terrence Dix Barry Letts basically run the show for five years. John Pertley, um, very consistent kind of style. Um, you know, in Spirit from Space, Robert Holmes kind of gives them like straightforward, strong woman, feminist character. You know, uh-huh. and so the line about you just need you don't need a strong scientist, you just need someone to hand you your test tubes and tell you how brilliant you are. Yeah, I kind of think that was probably something that Terrence Dix said to uh, Robert Holmes. And what does he do? He writes an airhead. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are other qualities that we're going to get to visit, but definitely in this episode, she is she. This is not her strongest episode, not not in the slightest. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, because um, she she is a bit ditzy and like clumsy right. throughout this episode. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't want all her outfits, as is a steady recurring um, commentary for me in all <laughs> classic Who. Pretty much whenever you see a classic Who companion, you go, "Well, I want to wear that." Yeah, I'm like, just, oh, that's cute. Yep. Um, introduces Joe Grant, um, introduces Mike Yates. Um, right, who is also, like, a new OTP. With Joe Grant. Oh, yeah. Richard Franklin plays Mike Yates. He was uh, kind of brought on, like, the whole thing was they were going to try to do a romance angle between Yates and Joe Grant. Oh. Uh, you see it very clearly in this episode, and then it just kind of completely gets dropped. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes that scene where he's like totally licking his lips, like looking at her, like "dang girl." They were definitely setting it up for that, and, and then they didn't. Then they then they kind of didn't. I don't know. We will watch a couple more. You will see some more Yates, um, and uh, you can tell me what you think of uh, Yates and Joe Grant in the future episodes. Although we're not going to watch them all, so that's know. fair enough. What do you think of Yates? Let's just start there. Yates so far is very like much. Kendall, like a Sergeant Kendall kind of thing, sure. like um, like a GI Joe, yeah, like the old school school GI Joe. They're not the yeah. ones that had like laser beams and magical powers, but like in the old days when they actually kind of looked like World War Two soldiers. Okay, yeah, sure. You're going somewhere specific. No, no, no. I'm just kind of you know. Oh yeah. Like, okay, like, yeah. Kind of bringing up like he's that very like oh, and he's that kind of young tussled haired guy who is a soldier. Yeah, know? and and cute and has a bit of a sense of humor mm-hmm. and and is happy to have Joe around clearly because she's some cute girl like and makes cocoa on the doctor's Bunsen burner. But it's okay because that's how they figure out how the poo baby works. You want to, so? What do you want to talk about first? The master or the poo baby? Let's talk about well, the Pooh Baby. Well, I mean, I think we need to talk about the Master and his plan to sure. discuss the Demon Pooh Baby. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Master. All right. Um, we'll talk about... Joe Grant we will cover a bit here, but I think we'll kind of get more into her as we... Right, especially if you're saying this isn't entirely representative of who no, we're, the we're character gonna, becomes. It, it kind of is and kind of isn't, but I think we'll get into the details of Joe Grant as we kind of move along a little bit. That's fair. But we will kind of talk about her a bit, but you know, I think I want to I show you some more Joe Grant before you really kind of talk about her. Um, 
This is, uh, but it does introduce her character, um, mm-hmm. and it introduces the master. And what I love mm-hmm. about this, what I love about this story, it's a four-parter, mm-hmm. and you really have to hand it to the writer because it has a bloodless efficiency to the fact that we are basically doing a soft reboot of the series. We're going to yeah. introduce some new characters. We're going to introduce this guy, the master, who's going to be in every story in this season. Like, this is the season of the master. Well, and I'm looking... At the quotes from the end of the episode, and I'll read them in a second, but, like, you definitely get this almost romance built up between the Doctor... That's what everybody says. ...and the Master. Um, Delgado, Uh who plays the Master, was a... um, He and Pertwee were, like, good friends from way back. Um, And so when he comes on to Doctor Who... It's you definitely get an immediate like sense of like they have a well, but, an ongoing relationship. Yeah, and and I think the whole the lines about um, and of course, okay, so there's a certain element of camp in this episode. I'm just oh, gonna call oh, that out oh, first. Yes. Oh yes. So I'm giggling through the whole thing. As you can tell, I have referred to a character repeatedly as the Demon Pooh Baby. Um, we're saving that for the last, guys, because it's the best. It it's a bit of a giggle fest. There's lots of serious stuff that like I still think that there's some good character building and plot and stuff, but like it's goofy and there was, you know, Pertwee makes a face at one point. What did you call it? He gurns. Gurns. I he, learned a word, folks. I, I'll I'll try to I'll, that's probably going to be the screen cap for this episode actually is Pertwee gurning while being wrapped with the uh, phone cord oh, at the end of episode 3. Seriously, it was kind of amazing yeah. and awful and amazing. But so then you have, when we get to the end of this first episode, you know, the, one of the master's kind of minions for the episode says, but you still intend to destroy the doctor? He's like, of course. And the more he struggles to postpone the moment, the greater the ultimate satisfaction. There's a definite, uh, there's a, there's a Fifty Shades of Grey going on here. Well, and then you have... Fifty um, Shades of Purple, if you kind of think of, you know, oh, the, the Doctor's waistcoat and such. Well, and the Doctor says, uh, and Joe asks him, you know, you don't seem very worried about it because apparently the Master's stuck on Earth. And so he says, as a matter of fact, Joe, I'm rather looking forward to it. They're definitely setting it. I mean, this is meant to be the Holmes Moriarty thing. Right, it's... and so that's what I mean by romance. If people, if other people are saying that there's more to it than that, I have yet to see that kind of romance. Um, but there's... You, there's also this weird kind of underpinning of, like, is this the first time that we see, like, other Time Lords? It's not the first time. Okay. Um, you see uh, the very first kind of uh, introduction of the Time Lords is at the end of the War Games, which is... Uh, Trotton's last story. Okay. So and so we're really only a couple years out for that. We're like a year and mm-hmm. I mean we're really like a year and a little bit mm-hmm. from that um, story. And so the idea that you're kind of popping in and you're seeing the Time Lords and the Time Lords are exiled partly to Earth. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they appear in any stories prior to this. Um, we do get a lot more kind of background on um, the Time Lords and where they come from and that sort of thing as I, you yeah. go forward in the Pertwee run. You know. Um, I'm just gonna say like. I have never seen this episode before. Mm-hmm. So often, when we are watching these episodes, I ask Daniel, "Wait, did have wait? Are we? Did we already meet him?" And that happened with the master. And you were like, "No, no, no! This is an introduction." I was like, "Dude, he just walked out of a horse truck." Hey, so this is this is this is what I talk. I was I was mm. going to get into this the the kind of efficiency of the script. Yeah, because 
Unlike a certain recent modern series we could name, where mm-hmm. we tease the master for a little while, like yeah. thirteen episodes. Jesus. Um, this is this is the introduction of the master. How is the master introduced? It is the opening of the episode. We have seen nothing yet. Yeah. Literally, Terror of the Autons, Part One, Fade Up. You're in the middle of a circus. The, a, yeah, a the sound lands. It's a it's a it's a horse carrier thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a name for it. The they keep calling it something. I forget what it is, but. Yeah. The master, you know, this this bumbling guy walks mm-hmm. past it. The master comes out, says, I am the master. Immediately puts this guy under mind control, and then we're off with the races. And then yeah. like, we get... Well, and then we get another Time Lord later who's like a friggin' dandy with a bowler hat. Who, who basically just comes in and tells you, oh, this is who the master is. Yeah. And, by the know. way, Doctor. By the way, you remember when you were in uh, school together, and he got better grades than you did, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, so, I was a late bloomer. I was a late bloomer. <laughs> and like so, like I, the camp element of it in all of those ways. Mm-hmm. I actually because the story is still decent, and mm-hmm. there's um, I actually had trouble even picking out those few quotes because there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the episode. There's a lot going on in this episode. Um, I mean, people there, kind of focus on a few elements, but yeah. I mean, and, and we've kind of done it so far. Mm-hmm. We've talked about you know introduced to Grant, introduces the master. Um, Unit is kind of front and center in a real way for the first time. I mean, this is, you know, the Autons come back. And a lot of what I like about it, and don't get me wrong, Demon Pooh Baby aside, I I like all the, again, God forbid, character moments Mm -hmm. we get with the Doctor and the Master to some degree. We Mm -hmm. get to see him kind of enjoying the back and forth with the doctor and we get to see the doctor again singing and then getting really upset and pouty and saying i am being childish what's wrong with being childish so you see all these dynamics and i i don't know it's you say sherlock and moriarty and i think that that is like the classic kind of archetype that compare it to but it's also it feels a little bit more like boys on the schoolyard Oh, it definitely does. Uh, I mean, this is your first exposure to the Legato Master, and mm-hmm. to date, you have seen the Johnson Master mm-hmm. and Michelle Gomez, and that's kind of all you've seen of the Master. Correct. And I really wanted your first knowledge of the Classic Master to be the first introduction of the yep. Classic Master, um, because it's such a like he, he kind of comes full form. He kind of comes, like this mm-hmm. is who the Master is going to be. He's always really diabolically evil for no reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's always um, scheming. He's always got this insane plan that, like, the minute you've put any, like, narrative logic to it, it doesn't work. I mean, we talked a lot about, when we talked about Death in Heaven, the end of Series 8, you know, we talked a lot about, like, just how stupid the whole thing was. But the one thing that I bought immediately was the Master's involvement, because I totally believe the Master would do a plan that stupid. Like, there's no, like, his, and that's, well, what that's I a like, lot of what... Another thing that I like about this episode, and I actually end up liking the Autons more than I thought outside of the Demon Pooh Baby, um, like, who is my new best friend. Um, you need a little doll. I really do. Um, if a someone little a wa- stuffy. Yeah, I'm going to have to make one, seriously. It's going to be a little felt Demon Pooh Baby. 
Um, Etsy me if you want me to There's make There's probably more than a one. name for that thing. We should, no, we should I'm up. calling it the Demon Poo Baby, and you're just gonna have to deal with it. Another one of Shana's names for things in Classic Who. I love it. Yeah, I, I should have a glossary at this point because I don't remember all the things I make up. Like Thunderballs. Thunderballs, which there was a Thunderball in this episode, no, and I correctly ID'd it. You did. Okay, back to the point I was making about the Autons. Yeah. They do actually come across as successfully creepy. Um, especially when you have all of these, um, oh, how would you describe the big paper mache heads with the straw hats that are handing the, out the, the daffodils? Big, the big, like, I mean, they're like, they, they come from the circus, clearly. It's meant yeah. to be, you know, and it's interesting how, like, I've seen this episode, I've seen this story twice, because mm-hmm. I watched it, we were gonna watch it together, and then you fell asleep, and I just kept watching it, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a fun episode. It is a fun episode. It, it, Shana was very tired, it was not her fault yeah, that she no. fell asleep, but, um... I just started, I just kept it on mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, whatever. It's funny how the different elements, like, this is the one time where stuff kind of makes sense. Because you're like, wait a minute, so the master lands his TARDIS. First of all, it's a horse box. Mm-hmm. So he lands his TARDIS in the middle of a circus. Mm-hmm. And he's got some plan involving plastics. And he's got some, like, how does all this fit together? Yeah, Like, why, why is he in a circus? And then he just, like, the very first person he runs across, he's like, no, you're gonna, I'm gonna mind control you. And what I like but about you, it... But you realize, is, like, yeah. no, there's a point behind it. He and, needs the circus stuff to do the, for the for the big heads and for the, mm-hmm. you know. And, like, the radio telescope has its purpose. And, you know, like, this, yeah. is, this is the one time that the plan kind of, like, the, well, the elements slot into place. And when well. you finally see the plan itself enacted... It's really creepy. Yeah. The idea that there's this really pretty looking flower that shoots goop out that covers, like, that it successfully suffocates you. Yes, the spray. It's less creepy if you... Oh, Oh, Jesus. Death by Daffodil Bukaki. (laughs) That's not the title. (laughs) Please don't make that the title. (laughs) We would get a very different kind of audience. (laughs) So bad. Um, anyway, but I think it's interesting how the humor and the actual seriousness of the master and the fact that people are going to die, um, get balanced because there are some genuinely creepy moments, some of which have been made dated. And so therefore an inflatable chair eating a man, not so scary now. Mm-hmm. I see how it could have been scary then. Like the well, effect was still. This this goes into this this idea that Doctor Who was doing at this time of kind of making the ordinary objects scary. Right. And this is Moffat's favorite thing. Like this mm-hmm. is like he does it over and over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. um, cell phones, Wi-Fi, cell phones, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. S- you know, statues, Bluetooth. Well, Bluetooth wasn't him, but um, oh, that's right. Never mind. Sorry. Um, you know, but but you know, you definitely see this kind of over and over again. And, um, you know, there really was this kind of, I mean, this is kind of the birth of, like, plastic as this thing that was just everywhere, you mm-hmm. know? And um, plastic is, the, you know, it's this artificial replacement for natural, like, literally it's daffodils, right? Right. So instead of buying a real daffodil, you buy a plastic daffodil mm-hmm. that will never wither and die, mm-hmm. but because it was never alive in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, like, how it's a perfect authentic copy like, look at how good our plastic daffodils are mm-hmm. and they talk about like the surface of the plastic this is cold and clammy it should be like warm and mm-hmm. you know um and it's weird that people were were 
you know, in today's world where, you know, there's just, I mean, I can point out like 15 plastic things in front of me where I'm sitting right now. Far you know, more than 15 in, like, I, in actuality, but yes. Right, I mean, you know, like, you could literally just start, like, it's easier to name things that don't have plastic in them in right. these days, you know? Right, Um, And the idea that um, at that time this was really scary. I mean, this was, this was really, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a brand new thing. And making that the, you well, know, building and, on that fear, you know. And having it, you know packaged in entertainment right you know the whole circus package Mm -hmm. the the flower package that you're saying the kind of as far as like a pop culture piece like you can talk about a lot of kind of medical excuse me metaphorical value in in this episode it it, it's fairly complicated has a lot of layers um if you're paying attention but it doesn't make a huge deal about them either Mm -hmm. right right and again that's that's kind of the hallmark of a home script is that he kind of yeah. comes in he does it he does his job he doesn't you know really hit you over the head with it um most of the time most of the time um there are there are at least two that are definitely hitting you over the head with the idea um that are home scripts but um you know it's it's a very uh again efficient is the word that i use for this one I yeah mean, this is one i, I think terry the autons you know this is not this doesn't end up on my list of favorite episodes it doesn't you know it's, no. it doesn't end up on my favorite third doctor it's not my favorite joe grant it's not my favorite you know brig uh, it's a pretty good brig episode but um, I, I like the brig in this episode he's snarky this isn't even my favorite mike yates episode like in that saying it's something. my favorite demon poo baby episode though <laughs> it is that. so like we should probably talk about demon poo baby we now. should talk well so there's this technology it's called cs so DPB. <laughs> um, you know DPB. Yeah, you know me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> uh, CSO. It's basically chroma key. It's the same thing that they use to make weathermen, you know, stand in front of green screens. Right. Um, so this is like early, early blue screen technology sort of thing. So before the master can create the beautiful plastic daffodils that mm-hmm. spit stuff that kill people he has to experiment with different kinds of plastic that he can trigger to kill people in different ways sure we'll say that one with heat like apparently he's been doing this a while and so when we see him kind of show up with Mm -hmm. you know in the horse box he's kind of maybe already been on earth for a little while i mean you kind i kind of get the feeling that like he's kind of been working with the autons and like or i mean the nesting consciousness right or with this idea of like and like you're saying, like a totally over-the-top ridiculous plan, um, but it's also like, ha you know it'll really piss off the doctor? Let's throw some autons on the planet. Wahahaha. <laughs> well, and it's it's like he just has this goal. I mean, it's just, it's legitimate, like, I just want to kill everybody on Earth. Like, mm-hmm. That's my plan. I will kill all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Wahaha. Why does he keep going after humans? Because kill all humans. Well, it's not, like... And this is the thing where people start to see the romance angle or the, mm-hmm. like, obsession with the Doctor angle. Because it's like, why does he, like, a whole universe and he keeps going to where the Doctor is. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, the only, like, the best way to explain it is he's just obsessed with the Doctor. He wants the Doctor to notice him. And he mm-hmm. wants to, you know, like, come on, man. You know, let's get together. Let, let's is do our thing. Is it me you're looking for? You, you just have to sing it every episode. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Anyway, so... In in the process, he makes. <laughs> There's a lot of CSO here. It was their big like new technology. And so wait, but before really we get to the CSO, it. he hands the head 
of the so, plastics so factory. The head, so the, the the guy who is the kind retired of the head, factory, the, yeah. the guy who's running the plastic factory, is the son of the old guy, mm-hmm. and the son is under mind control. Mm-hmm. The father comes in, and the master's like, "These aren't the droids you're looking for." Yeah, you know? and he's like, "Ah, uh, fuck you." I'm. That's not going to work on me because I'm an old stodgy man. Right. Um, I which, really respect this character, honestly. Like he's yeah. the one guy who's like, "You're you're full of shit." Yeah. Delgado. Yeah. Uh, I'm done. You know. Well, um, and why are we upending our business on because right. there's one dude and he, he he's the one guy with like common sense in the entire episode. That includes the doctor. Well, know? and so then the <laughs> that's true. Uh, the master like sneaks. Is like here. Why don't you look at the dolls we're making? And hands him the demon poo baby, which is this like, like it about? Couldn't be, it couldn't just be a doll. It, it couldn't, couldn't just be, be a doll. It had to be something that looks like it could be made out of solid plastic. I get that. Sure. But it couldn't just be anything out of solid plastic. It had to look like poo. <laughs> it had to have the face of a demon and be about the size of a baby. Yeah. It, it couldn't. It couldn't just be like a baby doll. I mean, honestly, baby doll like starts walking around. Terrifying. Like that would be much creepier. Much than creepier. The evil looking. Then demon poo baby. So cut to we're driving, and the air conditioning has been cleverly turned <laughs> off the, the, by the master. The master. What I what I noticed in this watch through was the master like before he actually approaches the guy because mm-hmm. you get this kind of exterior shot of the cars mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. and the master comes and he like furtively like runs and he opens the door and like he turns the air conditioning off and then he runs back around the corner and then when the dude comes yeah. out like the master comes up in this very dignified way like I have this thing to give you like it's yeah. such a um it's such like it's, it's broad comedy like yeah. it's just this weird comedic bit it's the... really weird and so then he sneaks the doll into the guy's back seat and he's driving and sweating, and it takes him a while to realize, hey, someone turned off the AC. So we get a view of the back seat of his car, uh-huh. which is where once laid the the solid plastic demon poo baby. We now have a CSO and probably a small person. It's got to be a little person in a yep, costume. Yeah. Inside of a demon poo baby costume, rolling around trying to get up. Awkwardly, very awkwardly. Every time, and you, you gotta wonder: is that is it just that the costume was that uncomfortable, or was well, it? I mean, the or was he directed to do that? Well, know? yeah, and it's like the costume's relatively stiff and looks like it was made of painted denim and foam. And it probably was, honestly, it probably was. Um, also, what Shayna wants to cosplay from this episode is Demon Who Baby, not Joe Grant. Uh, no. I, I'm kind of having a thing for Demon Poo Baby right now. All right, no, we're good. Um, so then later, uh, once again, like, okay, so the guy turns on his AC and Demon Poo Baby is like, oh, it's cold, I'm going back to sleep. So then the guy comes home and puts Demon Poo Baby on the radiator, which, like, why you would put something you know is made out of a kind of plastic on a radiator? Well, clearly this guy just didn't know anything about plastic. Yeah. So, anyway, so Demon Poo Baby comes to life, and we have another horribly awkward rolling around a Demon Poo Baby, and then, like, the doll gets thrown at the old dude, and then he, like, dies with the doll at his neck. Um, So, I mean, Demon Poo Baby also, then, gets kind of taken with um, the CSI. So, so, so the the Doctor and Joe Grant kind of show up. 
and yeah. they question the guy's wife. Yeah. And she's like, it seems like that thing was moving and trying to get out or something. Yeah. And so they take it back to the lab, and you get this, like, autopsy scene, which is kind of weird. So creepy, because he cuts it open and, and uses they, forceps. Well, he's cutting it open, and he's, like, digging around in it. And, like, the camera at first is kind of focused on, like, this kind of table shot, and then, like, focuses on his face. Like, there's yeah. something disgusting that they're not showing you. Even though he's like, yeah. it's made of solid plastic. It's a really weird piece of direction. I mean, yeah. Barry Letts also... <laughs> directed uh uh enemy of the world hmm i mean he was the producer for like the entire like third like, there are some questionable direction choices there were some let's just say interesting interesting direction. yeah let's obscure most of joe's face right now while she's talking and the in only the, person the on very screen. first in like her very first scene when she comes into the lab you know like, yeah. anyway so then they get demon poo babies in the lab Mm-hmm. And Yates, who's totally macking on Joe, decides he's going to make her some cocoa. Yeah, because <clears throat> that's something that adult people do. I guess, I don't know, maybe in 1971, that was, you know, I'm going to make you some cocoa, and then you're going to open your legs for me. Is that is that a thing? You know, when I worked in an office, we had a Keurig, and it had cocoa in it. Sure. Do, would, you, would you have to make it on a Bunsen burner? No. So the Bunsen burner wakes up Demon Pooh Baby, who then goes all batshit again. Right. And this time, Yates literally shoots him to pieces. Yeah. Which is kind of horrific, actually. <laughs> when you know it's like this living thing, and Yates is all like shooting holes in this plastic thing. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I love about that moment when Yates comes back, and this is clear that I've now seen this too many times, you know? Mm-hmm. Yates comes back, and he's already holding his gun. Oh, like, no. it, he doesn't have to draw his gun. He's already holding it. Like, the actor is literally just, he mm-hmm. comes in, he's got the gun in his hand, and he just reaches up and shoots. To be like, fair, it's... isn't Joe screaming when he walks in? She is, but, like, you don't really see them, like, walk in guns. Yeah, you know, guns a-blazing. Guns a-blazing. I mean, there there is a lot of action in this era. And actually, mm-hmm. I, again, rewatching it again, you know, the, the big kind of action sequences are really effective, I think, here for 1971 yes. on a TV budget. Like, they, they had some really good action Yeah, moments. and comparatively to some of the other action scenes we've already seen, they serve more plot purpose. It's yeah, not no. just like, and then we have the Havoc team come and be a bunch of men shooting and rolling around and shooting and rolling around. <laughs> You should just wait till next week. <laughs> That's awesome. Next week, more shooting and rolling around. Just wait. Just wait. On Adventures of Havoc. Adventures of Havoc. That's what I should have called it. Adventures in Havoc. Um. So yeah. Then after that, I don't really remember what happens because Demon Pooh Baby is dead. <laughs> Demon Pooh Baby was dead, and Shana completely lost. Was heartbroken. No, I mean, and then and then that's when we get the rest of the story. There, with there's, the an, there's an audio where the Demon Pooh Baby and Joe Grant go off and have an affair together. No, big fan. Nick Briggs plays the Demon Pooh Baby. No, <laughs> that's not true in the slightest. I know way. it's not. <laughs> Um, what's funny is the Autons, like, this is the last time the mm-hmm. Autons appear in the classic series. They don't come back again until really? Rose. Yeah. And it's funny, like, they were, they're such a, like, they're kind of one of those, I don't know, we think of them as iconic villains, but they're really only in the two stories. They're really only in Spearhead and this one. Hmm. Know? So. And I mean, they do get the handguns. They get the handguns and they get, yeah, like, it's like one of those, like, it's, it's a really kind of cool idea, but I, I, they just, they just never brought them back. It's just... Well, and it's interesting that there are equal parts scary and equal parts hilarious in this right. episode. And and it's like I, I kinda like that balance for Doctor Who. I kinda like yes. the idea that you kinda have villains who are um who have that 
ability to be kind of terrifying and, and personality driven, but also kind of goofy. Um, it's very Doctor Who. I will say, if I was going to like call one thing out for feeling like this episode left me wanting in mm-hmm. some way, is it does feel very much like an intro to the new series, like you said. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't quite feel as much like a whole story in some ways. Right. It feels like, hey, we're building up these two characters so you can watch them chase each other and be like, oh, that was a good move. Ah, oh, I see you there and checkmate. It, this is exactly what season eight is going to be. Like, there, every story of season eight has the master. And we're not going to watch them all, at least I, not in a row. That's so excited. The master appears in almost half of all the Pertley stories. And he's only in three years of Pertley. And Pertley runs for five years. If you count up all the stories he's in, he's in, like, for three years. It's, like, almost the master in every story. Wow. I mean... It's a, it's a significant amount where you're going to get to see the master. Well, store. you know, it did it for some folk. I mean, the show it is did. still really popular then, it, right? It, it got it got really popular. I mean, you know, bring the third Doctor era was was a really uh, rebooted the show. It rebooted it in popularity. Um, you know, kind of doing this action stuff, kind of doing this very different thing than they were doing before. And they obeyed a formula. They went through. They you know the master's always up to something stupid. Mm-hmm. You know the the doctor gets to be badass. Unit does its action thing, and Joe Grant wears a short skirt. Like that's what this show was for three years. Like that's it. Wow, you're really making me excited about these other episodes we're about to watch. There's also some other stuff going on. There's really some interesting things happening. But, like, it really does kind of get to be, you know, the second and third Doctor Errors, probably more than any other, are the most formulaic in a lot of ways. Um, And it's, you know, that's what TV was in that time period. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to blame them for it. But it is sort of like it's, the way to watch them is not the way I did it, where you watch them all in a row. Right. The way to do it is to do it the way you're going to do it, which is a little bit here and there. You will like them a lot better. Watch them a little bit here and there. That's fair. I'm still a little weirded out by Pertwee's lisp. Yeah. I don't know why. I just feel like saying that, like, I don't, I mean, so I, I need to do some research of whether or not that is, like, a lisp lisp or if it's an accented lisp or. Yeah, he, he definitely has a, a distinctive voice. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. Other thoughts about this episode? I've got I've got some of the topics, but I kind of wanted to let you uh, um, bring up stuff that you were. Uh, what's funny is we normally watch these like a few days before we record, yeah. and now we literally just watched it a couple hours ago, so it's really yeah. fresh on our minds. You know? Yeah, I think what was most interesting for me, um, just as like an overall point of going forward, especially after hearing what you've had to say about how Joe changes, um, there's, like you said. Robert Holmes' scripts are very efficient. I mean, the Brig basically does it when he walks in at the beginning of the ep- of the episode of... Episode one, part one. Yeah. He, he walks in and says, well, Liz left for this reason, which gives us character information about the Doctor, gives us a feeling, oh, Liz left for some reason. Mm-hmm. The Brig is being snarky and has already chosen the assistant. Like, you get so much just... On, like, the juxtaposition of characters. Well, and he's foisted this person who, like, is basically, like, her uncle, like, was had high connections. Yeah. And got her assigned a unit when she was unqualified for it. And then the Brig essentially saying, well, all you need is somebody to hand you test tubes, so here, take this completely unqualified person. Mm-hmm. Because you're kind of mean to all of us anyway, you know, which I, it's a topic I want to get into here shortly.
spoiling, but... Yeah, yeah, it's, I will say, as a character dynamic, choosing those kinds of characters to put together, I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more interesting now that you say the dynamic changes pretty quickly, at least to some degree. Which dynamic are you referring to? Between... Just within terms of, like, Joe and the progress mm-hmm. of her character. You know, she's, you know, she's recognizably Joe Grant here. You know, but you okay. see, you know, it's not like she becomes this brilliant, you know, computer programmer or something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, two episodes or something like that. Um, she's always Joe Grant, but, and, and you see it here where I think, you know, again, Holmes is given this, okay, write an airhead, but he writes, he writes her as an airhead. He writes her as kind of a ditzy blonde, but still as a person who has, like, she has, she studied escapology because of course she has. And what it comes, it comes in handy. She can undo locks. She can do, you know, all these yeah. things. And I think Manning and Pertley have such a great chemistry. That's true. Um, I, I think the way that she approaches the doctor, she she feels a little bit more um, stable. Yes. Like, in terms of their relationship, in terms of, like, no, I want to assist him, I am going into this, I have something to prove, mm-hmm. um, and even if I'm just the girl who comes in with a, a clever little something, you know, if you're an intern who's basically unqualified and you come in with the clever little something, so that the point that the doctor's like, everybody leave, and Joe's like, me too, and he's like, no, not you. You should stay. I you need should you to, stay. I need you to do some stuff for me. You Here know. you go. Here's some tasks. Uh, and, you know, there's a definite kind of father-daughter relationship mm-hmm. you get. You know, there's a very, um, it, it, very quickly, there's a real affection for, for yeah. her. From so him. that, the actual chemistry between the actors and all of that, that I can say, like, is the biggest thing that was imprinted on me from this episode, yeah. really. The demon poo like, all the campy elements and the funny mm-hmm. stuff, I really enjoyed, but it doesn't necessarily feel like... Doctor Who? No, it, it really, <laughs> it really. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, Pertley is kind of, and and we're going to kind of cover this a little bit more, I think, next mm-hmm. week. Um, but you know, Pertley is very much this. Uh, in a lot of ways, the Doctor that you know, people. There are people who love Pertley who don't like Doctor Who otherwise. Like, who just watch their Doctor stuff because it really is kind of unique. And then there are a lot of like Doctor Who fans who like love everything about Doctor Who but just can't stand the Pertley era. You know. Um, it really does stand as its own, like, little... It's like, you know, the, the comparison I always make is if, at the end of the end of time, when David Tennant regenerates into Matt Smith, mm-hmm. if Matt Smith crash-landed and became the scientific advisor to Torchwood, and that was what the show was for five years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Torchwood was just in Doctor Who, or it, like, becomes the X-Files, only it's, you know, the Doctor running around and being goofy as scientific advisor. By the way, I think that would be a better show than the last three years of Doctor Who. Yeah, I know. Actually, I think Matt Smith could have done some interesting things with that character. When you get to uh, Kate Stewart, and, you know, when when you see Unit and you see that... I mean... It's a very it's a very good dynamic, and again, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that if, if you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm definitely starting to see more. Just we'll talk more about that. Clearly, you have a direction to go in, but um, I am starting to really understand why you have such affection for the Brig, right? Because he's really coming into his own as the Brig with the Third Doctor. I think, like, where the fact that he's like, oh yes. 
I'm so sorry. Like, he might as well be calling him princess and your highness half the time. Like, yeah. the way he treats him. Like, whatever you want, princess. This is kind of my favorite era of the brig, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the early, kind of like the first two yeah. or three years of Pertly. That makes sense They to me. eventually, it really kind of, in about two years, he kind of is much more of a comedic character. And they kind of bring him on and he's kind of like the bumbling fool, you know? Um, a little bit more. I mean, Courtney sells it. Nicholas mm-hmm. Courtney sells it. And, and so it, it works. But you definitely see him more and you you see him like here he's usually competent good at his job snarky later on you see him more as like you know he's kind of like the guy bringing in the military stuff and that is completely useless and you know you know Mm -hmm. it becomes it's harder to write that character more subtly i mean because you know the whole point is doctor who is the name of the show you know the doctor is Mm -hmm. the main character and he's kind of you kind of want him to be right you know yeah. And so, like, when it's really hard to write a dynamic where, as I think they do thread this needle pretty well here, of the Brig being the Brig having his set of skills and the Doctor having his set of skills, mm-hmm. and they come together and they kind of need each other, but they kind of, and they respect each other, mm-hmm. but they kind of are at opposing ideologies in a way. And well, and and we have, uh, I don't know, you might be bring, about to bring this up, but we have the topic of you know the Doctor destroys. Um, some evidence of a bomb because he he doesn't want the brig. Well, he 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 makes sure that the brig can't have the bomb. You know, he he evaporates away the the fluid of the bomb, essentially Mm -hmm. the stuff that makes the bomb the bomb. Right. Um. So that the so that so that the brig can't have the can't use it to to research and build bigger bombs. You know. Yeah. Um, And so the doctor's the doctor's relationship with the military. Mm-hmm. It's setting up that dynamic, um, and I I do like that. We've we've dealt with that some. I mean, we didn't really we really didn't watch all of series seven or season seven, but you dealt with that a lot. There's there's a story in season seven that's very explicitly kind of about this, mm-hmm. and it becomes kind of the running theme of the the unit run. But I think it's really prevalent here, and I and particularly talking about series eight, the new series eight, mm-hmm. with um, Capaldi's relationship with the military and Danny mm-hmm. Pink and, you know, I don't like soldiers and that sort of thing. And to me, you cannot um, watch those episodes in context with anything in the Pertwee run and think it makes any kind of sense for the Doctor to have, a, like, a reflective hatred of soldiers. No, you're right. And I mean... This is, this is, there's a much more subtle relationship that. going on here. I don't really like a Doctor that has a reflexive hate of anyone other than, like, the Daleks. Right. Or the Cybermen. Or, you know, creatures that just want to kill. I like my doctors with empathy. But anyway, that's another tangent. Let's get back to your The doctor's relationship with the military versus mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, he's a scientific advisor unit. He's mm-hmm. coming in. He has a lot of lines about, like, military intelligence is a contradiction in terms. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Your way of doing things is just to use brute force against it. It, it lacks subtlety. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ultimately the brig is, like, saving the doctor and, you know, kind of, you know, ultimately they're the ones that, you know. But at the end you also see, well, they killed this guy. The doctor kind of knew something was up. He said, don't trust the situation. Use your brain. Mm-hmm. But what else are you going to do? Somebody pulls a gun on you, you know, you're going to shoot him, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah. And I think that this relationship is played really well. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about, like, that. Well, and I think it it, it feels much more reasonable here because it's not just, it's not just him randomly hating soldiers, like, without anything to back it up other than, like, murder, killing, war, blah. I mean, because war, war is a fact of life, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like 
a character like the Doctor would just kind of brush it off that easily. I think when he's responding to specific kinds of violence, and already in this character, he's more specific. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's saying, like, you already have nasty enough bombs. It's not even that he's opposed to them having the technology or, you know, the the messing up timelines and shit that the Doctor and Contemporary who kind of complains about more. It's really just like, you don't need another gun. You, you have you, enough your, guns. Your guns are big enough as it is. You You're know, you fine. Don't, you know, can we, can, we, can we not give you a yeah. huge bomb like yeah. this, you know? Uh, and, and I think when he says, you know, army intelligence is sometimes a contradiction in terms, it, it feels much more about... I mean, it almost feels like a complaint about bureaucracy and, like, you know, it it feels much more complicated, as you were saying, than just, I don't like soldiers. Right. That's, there's a process. And, and I think that this is a much more interesting conversation to have, to be able to say, like, I'm not opposed to the army or the military or whatever, but sometimes it puts process in front of what is... This is also a character who is... Mm-hmm. Uh working with them like right. like if you view it in universe you know he's right. working with them all the time and he's like come on guys do we have to do it this way like you yeah know, it's more um, a sign of impatience with right. with the process and the structure of it and to have i mean essentially like the chaotic good and the you know organized good or the whatever lawful good right. lawful good to combine those so that you are creating kind of in between them a neutral good that is an in, an interesting balance to have between characters right um because they challenge each other right um and then you have the master who challenges both of them in different ways that's interesting so like the fact that i don't think i had drawn as much a comparison into how they talk about unit now yet but yeah, I, I I definitely feel like there's a lot of nuance. There's a, I think there's a lot of nuance, and I think that it, you know, you don't have to kind of view that. I think you can kind of view it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just these characters interacting, and you don't necessarily have to get into the details of like that. There's some deeper meaning behind it, but I think it's there, and I think mm-hmm. that it's um it's it's clearly something. That we're, it's a topic we're going to be coming back to over and over again um, when we talk about the third Doctor, because you know the the Doctor's battles with bureaucracy. You know, in Inferno, you know, it's like mm-hmm. they're trying to, he's trying to get this whole like drill shut down. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I think you're right. And I know we need to shut it down, but I have to go talk to so-and-so and make that happen. You mm-hmm. know, um, integrating the doctor into this very specific kind of, uh, organization and this very specific kind of like very real world, you know, thing. I think it has a really interesting dynamic to take this kind of free spirit character and right. like, put him in this box, you know? Well, and it's... It's the key thing that keeps him alien, mm-hmm. is that he is constantly sitting and saying, like, okay, I understand why you guys are doing it this way, but, you know, let me, let me just, you know, let's question why we're doing it this way. And that is, I mean, a much more realistic character mm-hmm. than to have a character that, um, in other people's hands sometimes seems a bit more melodramatic. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that. It, yeah, I, it, it's not as melodramatic as it could be. It's campy and it's fun, but it's not melodramatic. Right. I mean, and and I don't know. Again, we're saying the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Two other things I want to yeah. bring up about uh, Terror of the Autons. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the tissue compression eliminator? I don't think they name it by name in this episode. The shrink ray that kills people. <laughs> Dude, the 
guy in his lunchbox. The guy in his lunchbox. The guy in his lunchbox. Now, of all the silly things that the you guy see, in his of all the silly things that the master does, you'd think that the idea that he carries around this device that he shoots people with, and they shrink down to a tiny percentage of their size, and it kills them. Later on, they don't do the CSO effects. They just have little dolls that look like the people. That are no. Dead. Yes. Oh, shit. And this is you something, guys, this is this about is to get real. This is something that comes back. Not like once or twice. This is a constant thing in the uh, Master. He just shrinks like, people and kills them all yes. the fucking time? Yeah, oh all the time. God. All the time. And mind controls them. And mind control? Oh, no, no, no. We're going to be doing mind control. <laughs> We're going to, like, no, no, no. No question, no question. Believe me, I can't wait to show you some more Third Doctor. And you're like, you're not, you don't believe me when I tell you, no, this is really what this looks like for the next three years. Well, you know, I'm not entirely upset if it's this funny all the time. There, there, we're going to show you some good ones. Let's okay, put it that way. thanks. Um, all right, so what's your other point? The other thing I wanted to talk about was just, um, I really love the Third Doctor because he's the scientist of all the doctors. Like, he's the guy with the lab. Yeah. You know, he's got a Bunsen burner. Like, you see that, like, he's he's got the, like, devices, and he's got the, like, and he, he's really, like, gathering evidence and stuff, and I have a I have a, a deep respect for that, you know? Well, and I um, love the fact that there is a certain Doc Brown quality to him. Oh, no, it's very much, the, I mean... Of, you know, the, like, we walk in, and he's, he's singing this classic 19... 40s. I don't want to set the world on fire. Yeah, either. I don't want to set the world on fire, which, again, funny for an introduction of the Master episode kind right, of thing. Yeah. Well, and this is the first episode that aired after Inferno, oh, where nice. the world was set on fire in an alternate universe, so... That's funny. I didn't actually too, put that yeah. together. There's a certain amount of lived-in-ness to this Doctor, of he's got his lab, he's got his setup, he has his thing that he's always working on and kind of putzing around and mm-hmm. he'll get to it eventually. Yep. Um, but like, you know, literally he goes and tries an experiment to see if he can use the circuit from, the dematerialization mm-hmm. circuit from the Masters, I guess, is it a TARDIS? It's a TARDIS, It's yeah. a TARDIS. They, originally TARDIS was supposed to be something that Susan made up to describe mm-hmm. the time machine. And it's supposed to just refer to that one. They very quickly discount completely. Like now, the Master's TARDIS is just something that they just say. Yeah. Like, you know. But there's literally a point where he goes in and and he's like, "I'm gonna take off." And Joe's like, "What's going on?" And the camera shakes, and literally the door to the TARDIS opens. And in my head, I'm going, "Please let there be smoke. Please let there be smoke." And then there's smoke. Of course, there is. Um. So again campy as all get out but i mean it kind of feels like doctor who meets james bond and hr puff and stuff so like it's that's that's exactly what they're going time period representative they were were doing that's exactly it Mm -hmm. um but no i love the fact that he's a scientist i love the fact that you could almost call this episode adventures in lab safety because um first of all joe grant shows up and she just like sprays a fire extinguisher on this thing you know that and he's like come on what are you doing here you don't you're not you don't know how to deal with this stuff you know that's essentially what he's saying you just ruined months of my work and then the doctor wears the shiny metal reflective um apron when he's uh removing the 
solvent from the bomb. Sure. Um, and and he's gloves, got shiny metal gloves, yeah. Which, you normally, those are supposed to be heat resistant, you know, but you're supposed to cover your whole body with that if you're going to do that. No, but we don't want to cover up his uh, pretty face. That's his moneymaker. <laughs> That's true. Oh, there are some episodes I could show you. And then um, Mike Yates, which I just have to say, making cocoa on a Bunsen burner. And literally the first thing, like, Mike Yates goes, oh yeah, well, I was going to go for a tin of cocoa. And the doctor almost lets it go, and then like, wait a minute. You were making cocoa on my Bunsen burner? <laughs> and I completely agree with him. I'm very much on the, like, no, 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 you do not make cocoa. On my lab equipment. This is not this is not something we do. Um, yeah, I, I can't say that I related to that part. I did. I very much did. I know you did. <laughs> you said it when we were watching it. You said, he's making cocoa with lab wear. You just, you just don't do that. Just, Although the doctor should really be wearing goggles. So, you know, we, we got that. Yes. You know. And probably a cape around a fire. A cape is probably not the best thing not to wear. No. He idea. should have like a little hook where he hangs his cape. Mm-hmm. He puts on a lab coat. Every time he walks into the lab it should be like Mr. Rogers, you know, where he puts on his slippers and his, you know, it should be like Won't, won't you, you be my neighbor? Won't you be my doctor? Oh, won't you be my doctor? Yeah. <sighs> anyway, that's a place to end, right? That's a place to end. Further thoughts on, uh, let's see, let me look at my notes here. I didn't really take a lot of notes. Uh, Katie Manning is adorable. She's very cute. She has very large eyes. She does. She kind of looks like... A little bit more androgynous here than we're going to see her in future episodes. She kind of gets a little bit more feminized. Um, But I always think of her here as um, fairly... Uh, like, she like wears David a dress Bowie. and a shirt with puffy sleeves and a skirt. Well, like her hairstyle, you know, she's got that kind of like David Bowie kind of thing. She does her. have the rocker mullet. Yeah, and you, and you see different outfits over the over the line, yeah, but you know, they definitely kind of play her up as the like, oh, the sexy one. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, no, um, she's definitely the sexy one. Um, Holmes Rarity, Military and Science, Mike Yates. Oh, plastic is evil, I wrote in my notes, with three E's. So, you know. Plastic. Evil. (laughs) And I think that's all. Oh, and I did the working title, Spray of Death. So, yeah, those were all my notes. Yay notes. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, overall, I was probably more excited about seeing more episodes until you were like, oh, no, 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 a lot of this changes. They have this established, this whole new reboot, but a lot of this changes in the next story. So now I'm like, well. I mean, it, it changes, but it doesn't. You know, like, it, it, okay. it. they kind of, the fact that Joe Grant is an airhead is kind of the big thing that they kind of de-emphasize to some degree. And, and she kind of gets to be the capable assistant who's just, like, capable at, like, getting them out of locks and, you know. The one thing I do... She's not quite as airheady as I think. I mean, I think you think she is more airheady than I do for this episode. And I think primarily because they explain that away with the fact that she's un- unqualified and young and familyed her way into the position. Right. I mean, and that's that's the interesting thing, is that they kind of, you know, he's told, right an airhead, and so, okay, this is my version of an airhead, you mm-hmm. know? Um, who isn't really an airhead? Who isn't really, you know, like, completely useless? She's actually really useful. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is that she kind of does this thing where, you know, the brig tells her, don't go to so-and-so, and she's like, of course, sir, I'm not gonna go, and then just completely fucking Yeah, goes, she completely you know? ignores him. Um, it reminds me of Vicky in that way, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's a reason we did these companions in order. <laughs> I know. Good job, Daniel. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. Anything else you got to say? Uh, until next time. Next time we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do the Sea Devils. 
I don't trust the face you're making right now. <laughs> We're doing the Sea Devils, uh, most likely, and uh, hopefully we'll have a special guest for this episode. Cool. So Look forward to a special guest, mayhaps. Yeah, hope so. And until then, the TARDIS is closed. The TARDIS is closed. Love you. Love you. You can find all our episodes on iTunes or at oispaceman.libson.com. That's oispaceman.libson.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Follow Shayna on Twitter or Tumblr at Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A, or Daniel at Daniel E. Harper at either location.